0: If you care about your privacy, chances are that you have heard of VPNs or you're using one right now. VPNs are a powerful way to protect one's privacy on the Internet. But is there an alternative that is decentralized? Orchid is a new decentralized bandwidth marketplace that is an open source VPN and guarantees no data collection, no third party data sharing and no profit markups download our vpn from orchid.com or visit the apple or google app store and get started today for as little as one dollar
1: welcome to the private podcast hosted by derek e silva and brought to you by orchid the crypto-powered vpn that keeps your data private and allows you to explore the internet freely
0: Hey everyone, and welcome to The Private Podcast, where we plug in and explore the intersection of privacy, human rights, technology, and democracy. I'm your host, Derek E. Silva. Today, we're going to hear a talk given by Orchid CEO, Dr. Stephen Waterhouse at ETH Denver about the ethos of the CryptoPunk. It's a great reminder of why cryptocurrency started, its very punk-like origins, the principles of cryptocurrency and decentralization, and finally, how to talk to people new to the space. And now over to the talk from Steven Waterhouse.
1: So I'm here to talk about trying to get people to remember why we do this thing. And hopefully it's not just about making money, although it's fun. There's something about this industry which is unique and has a lot to do with this concept of punk. So I'm kind of a little bit punky today. I grew up in the UK during the time when, I guess it was kinda like the late end of the punks, but I remember going down to London and seeing all the guys with the hair and like the jackets, and it was super cool. And so, you kind of, this concept of punk is all about, this is the word for the day, everyone know new word for the day? Iconoclasm. So an iconoclast is someone who rejects symbols, Reject symbols of control. It's often used in a religious context. People who tear down statues. People who break things. Punks are clearly iconoclasts, and I think many of you are too. But what was what was going on there? Like if you think about the UK, even now, like the royal family and all these kind of institution, all these symbols of power. And the punks came along and said, "Screw you! We're going to dress how we want. We're going to do what we want. We're going to be who we want." And sadly, like all great movements, it's co-opted. And here I am wearing a, you know, punky leather jacket, but, and there's a gentleman here with a mohawk, good mohawk, but it doesn't mean that the concept, doesn't mean that these movements necessarily have to die out just because they get co-opted, but they do. Right now, our space is being co-opted. This talk is really like a call to action, Is to say, let's examine some of the things that are unique about what we're doing, things that are fundamental to, I'm not going to call it Web3, by the way, fundamental to crypto, and why we should preserve those and what they mean. So the early internet was very much in the spirit of iconoclasm, the idea of, I just want to talk to who I want to talk to. I want to like do what I want to do. I want to get in touch with somebody. If you were growing up in Kansas and you were queer, you could actually talk to someone in San Francisco who lived in an environment, at least back then, which was extremely supportive of that lifestyle choice. And you could feel not that weird, like, hey, there's other people like me. And this is very normalized now. We're used to this idea that we can form communities internationally, globally, like that. We can join a movement. We can get in touch with people. But this is a radical idea. The idea that you could just talk to anybody, anywhere, and you know, because I remember punks, I also remember the early days of the web, but the idea that you could actually access information, you could publish information, you didn't have to go through a gatekeeper, you didn't have to put something in the newspaper. The idea it used to be, my parents would collect clippings of when I was in sports teams, in newspapers, in magazines. It was like, it was like what the heck is that all about now? You had to get in the newspaper to be communicating. The very, earliest designs, the, the, the way that the internet is, is architected is about an open system. It's, it's designed originally to withstand nuclear attacks. The idea is like the things just kind of keep going, this decentralization. And the decentralized aspect of it, the idea that it can withstand anything, meant that it was designed to, re, to not just withstand nuclear attacks, but also censorship. But something changed, right? And this, this is the, I don't love the word web one or web two or whatever. It's all just kind of the web, right? It's all just the internet. But it's definitely not what it was supposed to be. Or I mean, maybe it was supposed to be. Like, who knows? What does supposed to be mean anyway? These choices about what you do, these choices about how things develop, they're very small changes. And I definitely reject the idea that there's a conspiracy theory. I, I don't think that Zuckerberg sat down and said, I really, really, really want to control everything and get everyone's data and do all these weird things. And the guys at Google, I doubt they did that too. But the architecture of the way the web business models emerged. I actually remember the very first, I could do a history lesson here, but I remember the very first banner ads, and I was like, ew, that's weird. Like, what, we're going to do advertising now? That's how we're going to fund these things? But that's how it works. The entire internet is really funded on advertising. I mean, e-commerce, of course, but the the, the way that publishing works is is advertising-based. And so with a centralized advertising system, it's natural that the the end game of that is a small number of players who have a large amount of data, and that data is highly optimized to personalize things to you, including advertising. And then everyone gets sad and they realize, oh, what do you mean, have you been manipulated? You mean Facebook's manipulating me, the government's manipulating me? It's like, well, yeah, like, that, that's normal. Like, have you read 984, Have you read anything? Have you like, studied history at all to understand that manipulation is normal in centralized systems? It's going to happen. No matter what kind of democratic state you think you're living in, you're gonna get manipulated. And I think, I'm not gonna to get too political today, but you just have to look east a little bit and you'll see some manipulation happening on both sides. So this, this failed utopia and this, this sort of like sad situation where people now compare social media to smoking cigarettes in terms of health dangers, it's just a really unfortunate situation. But can we do better? Like, and why would we do better? Like, what's gonna happen? It's tempting to say that what went wrong was really just a search for profit, and I think that's probably true, right? The, the, the advertising architecture, the centralized systems, if you're running a company, you don't just sit there and go, hey, I really want to do better good for the world. I'm gonna do blockchain, I'm gonna do Facebook for social good, that'll be good, right, we'll do that. No, you're just gonna make money, right? Because that's what you're supposed to do. You're not gonna sit there and act in a way that's against your economic interest. And so I think when you're like looking at our space and hoping for the best, You should stop hoping for the best. My co-founder and CTO Jay gave a talk on the unbridled optimism, he called it. And again, it's like this hoping for the best, that things are gonna be okay, and then it turns out actually it's not okay. Again, we're not talking about NFTs, although I am happy to talk about NFTs afterwards. So, crypto, not Web3, we can call it, you can call it Web3 if you like, I just don't like the term. Crypto kind of gives us another shot at trying again, hopefully. So I got into decentralized systems, actually in the file sharing era, back in Napster and Nutella, I was working with the guys who built Nutella, that was also like this irreverent moment. And it's like quite sad what happened to the music industry and the media industries and so on because of those tools. But the concepts of decentralization then and the kind of idea of like, what if we can change the system using this new architecture? When I then found Bitcoin in 2013 and got involved in Pantera and other things, and then Orchid, these principles, this idea of decentralization just made a lot more sense to me than what was being built already. Often people think about decentralization as like a, it's like a regulatory hedge. It's like, a, hey, if we form a DAO, then they can't come for us. But the same principles of why your system is now resilient to potentially regulation or potentially um, some other kind of takedown are the same principles that work as to why the system should be resilient to any kind of attack. So at Orchid, we think a lot about you know, attack vectors and the systems that you're building and how they can be targeted. This concept of decentralization gives us the opportunity to think about how we architect things differently and what kind of systems that can build. One of the things that really concerned me when involved in, when I was involved in Web 2, early Web 2, was that those same ideas of, like, this kind of building blocks and Lego bricks of things that you could plug together and build really cool applications. And there was thousands, tens of thousands of startups during that period in Silicon Valley where I was living, and it was like so exciting, it's like, wow, there's another company doing this, another company doing that. Right now, the consumer internet investment space in San Francisco and the Bay Area, pretty much anywhere, is dead. You cannot start a company that goes after consumer internet. You might be really lucky, but pretty much forget about it. It's like, why? Well, because Google, Facebook, Apple, et cetera, they'll just do it anyway. Maybe they'll buy you, maybe you get lucky, but the innovation space has just reduced to like basically zero. What's exciting here, and I was here two years ago, just before I got COVID, um, there are now five times as many people here as there was two years ago. And there are thousands and thousands of companies in the spaces that are now like hot in this area, like DeFi, NFTs, all these very interesting spaces. And these pieces of Lego code are being plugged together and new business models and new ideas being created daily. And that's great. If that continues, and this decentralized technology also allows us to build a lot more companies, a lot more decentralized things, it's not just good from like investment and fun things to do and probably better parties than Facebook's, but it's also good from a resilience perspective. You need lots of things in the world to make things work, to be resilient. Just having one thing, not so resilient. What are the risks here? What if we get this wrong? Well, a couple of years ago, I guess when, when COVID was kind of kicking along, I, I hate being the sort of Cassandra here, but... One of the talks I gave was talking about how we work a lot on privacy. We were very concerned about surveillance and censorship. And the things that we saw happening very quickly were increasing surveillance. And I'm not talking about, you know, the cameras on the street. I'm talking like right after the first sort of lockdown started ending and I wanted to go shopping with my girlfriend in Berlin, we had to KYC to get into a store to go buy clothes. You had to like actually fill in a form... Get a QR code, scan that in, in order to get into a store. You want to go to the cinema? Same thing. Restaurant? Same thing. And the European Digital Passport, and I have one, I live, in, I live in Portugal, basically does the same thing. When you scan that, that information is being given to that store, and then hopefully they don't do anything with it. Or maybe they do. And the irony of things like GDPR in Europe, where they're like, hey, this, it's Europe, we've got GDPR, everything's fine now, you're going to be safe. Privacy, we got you. But then you've got this QR code, and because of the health issues, you have to scan that and go in. Now, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in public health and, you know, I, I, I'm not like some vaccine denier, etc. Like, we can get into another conversation about that later. But these ideas and these principles that get put in place, these new restrictions that get put in place, they don't get wound back. You don't sort of go back and say, oh, hang on a minute. We're now going to have a new law go in place that rewinds these old laws. They just stay in place. Yeah, it's just like, it's fine. We'll just keep doing that stuff. You look up a little bit further north from here and you've got supposedly the best democracy in North America, imposing sanctions on people who are protesting. I'm not gonna get into who's right or wrong on here, but the principle remains. Right now we have governments willing to dive in and lock financial transactions and say, you can have this money, you can have this money because we agree with you or disagree. You know, we, like, we just don't like you so that you don't get that. And it's very tempting when you're like, on the side of like, agreeing with those, like, those people to say, well, you know, this is fine, the government should do that because those people are wrong. But what if the government didn't like you? What if you're protesting something then the government's like, oh, so you kind of get where this is going. So central bank digital currencies, which is what's gonna happen if governments co-opt this decentralized space and make it centralized, is it gonna be make this stuff easier. It's not gonna require much to just press a button and click, all those transactions are dead. All those funds are dead. Forget it, right? You're just locked in. Pick your institution, pick your corporation or government you start centralizing the technologies that we're building right now, and you just really make things worse. We're making things so much easier to censor and surveil because of the technologies we're building if we build them in a centralized way, and if we ignore things like privacy and the ability to be resilient to these systems. So really, like, the stakes could not be higher. We get this wrong, I think we build a worse world than we had before. So please, let's not get it wrong, right? This concept of decentralization and thinking about being more punk-like, being more revolutionary in the systems you build. There's a race right now for attention in the DeFi space, just like, get more money, get rich quick, all these things, we're running out of time, right? Everyone's like, oh my god, like, is it almost the end of the party? We gotta like take the money off the table quick, right? And in that rush, we make shortcuts. Hey, it doesn't matter if we make this thing a little bit centralized right now, because later it's going to be decentralized. Everything going to be fine, right? Like, what are we going to worry about? Don't worry, we're going to decentralize it later. Well, that later never really comes, and then you're making tons of money. You just keep it the same, and then the regulator gives you a call and says you're not decentralizing this because we want to censor it. I, I often give these talks where I think I feel like I depress everybody, but there is great hope, right? These the, the stakes could not be higher. Things could get a lot worse, but on the other hand, I walk around here and I think I bump into like 10 people right now, now working on zero knowledge provers like scalable architectures that you know, are not centralized, and that kind of technology could really change the game. There are just people working on bridges, there are people working on layer two systems, not all of them are like as decentralized as I'd like to be, but we're increasing the scalability, and the more conversations I have with people here, and the more people are coming in, I think it's important when you meet someone new in the space, try and remind them what's the point. Like there's a lot of people, I see some friends here, also been in the space a long time, and it's exciting, you know, we like all been here, we're you know, kind of making it, I guess, and it's like, just try and remind people what you're doing here and why you're doing it. I would say the most revolutionary thing you could do is buy a CryptoPunk, because I've got one, but like, maybe just be a CryptoPunk is better. Just think about like being more revolutionary, whether that means getting involved in something, join a DAO, something you really appreciate, something you're really into, actually get involved, communicate. We're all like, kind of separated a lot in this world now, and it's good to get together, but like, just don't sit back. Like, If you care about what we're doing here and you don't want this just to turn into a Facebook event, like, you gotta get involved. These are my coordinates. I'm gonna do a little plug for our company at the end. Now you're all entertained. What we're building at Orchid, a specific take on this. So you have these architectures that have been built. Bitcoin, it's like decentralized. They're all all decentralizing centralized systems of control. The Bitcoin systems of control are focused around Governments and banks, right? like printing money and controlling money, controlling how it moves. Ethereum, the first use case was decentralizing funding, right? The VC, the old boys, the angel club of San Francisco, that stuff gets decentralized through ICOs. Now we're decentralizing finance, we're decentralizing the art world. What we looked at was decentralizing communication systems. So we looked at building, and what we have built is a decentralized VPN architecture. So instead of relying upon one VPN company, you can rely on many providers in these systems. What we're looking at now and where we're going is focusing on more generalized decentralized networks. And also looking at what Jay's been doing recently. Um, in case you don't know, Jay found a, uh, a pretty significant exploit in optimism and sent it in and fixed it and got the second, third largest bounty ever in history now. It's, it's that kind of work. You know, One of the things we've been really focused on going forward with Orchid is not just the work we're doing here but also like looking out. We're now on every EVM chain. We've gone full multi-chain. We work with all the bridges. And in doing that work, because we have like this sort of hardcore security team and people who are good at these things, we're looking and you know, trying to come out and protect some of these blockchains so that at least that part of it works. We're available on Mac, iOS, and Android. We've got a very innovative decentralized payments network, uh, payments architecture. We're looking at more broadly decentralized systems, other kinds of applications beyond BPNs, all with a focus on privacy. Thanks very much, enjoy 8th Denver.
0: You just heard The Private Podcast with your host, Derek E. Silva. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Google, or your favorite streaming platform. New episodes available every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in.